Hey, Bankless Nation. Welcome to another State of the Nation. David, how are you doing today? Absolutely fantastic, Ryan, except the market is not feeling all that fantastic, even though I am. Uh, and that is what we are going to talk about today. Today is our first ever charting and technical analysis episode. Uh, neither you or I are at, uh, at all like TA people, um, but people have been like asking for a lot of clarity as to like what the hell is going on in the, in the markets. Is the bull market over or is this just like, you know, a, a pause, a seventh inning stretch? Uh, hopefully not seventh inning stretch, maybe a third inning stretch. I don't really know, but we're going to get into that in today's episode because we brought on Ledger Status from the LedgerCast podcast, and also the Up Only podcast. And he's somebody that um, I've been getting close to in this last uh, like 12 months. Uh, he's he's the, the guy that I go to to just kind of like put the charts on my face and try and kind of get a feel for the market. Uh, and so I've always appreciated his content. And so we have two podcasters coming together. Do you want to hear something funny, David? Tell me, Ryan. I have not even looked at the price this morning. Like I haven't even looked at oh, it. Oh, you don't know what's going on then, huh? <laughs> I don't know what's going on. What like what price is Bitcoin? What price is ETH? Uh, Bitcoin's at like thirty three thousand dollars. ETH is at twenty three hundred dollars. You know, and some change. Um, I mean, no, nowhere near where we were like two weeks ago. But like people don't like being down this low, right? Well, um, this is just it. So, David, David, I, I know we do look at the price more, like more than once a day, certainly. But like <laughs> neither of us are traders. That's why it's mm -hmm. it's really cool to get Ledger on because I feel like I'm going to ask all the explain it like I'm five type of, of questions, right? Like, is this TA thing, is it horoscopes? Is there something else to it? Explain it to us. I've heard a lot about this Bitcoin death cross thing. I want to hear Ledger's take on all of this. So it's definitely going to be an interesting episode. I feel like I'm going to learn a lot and I can't wait to see Ledger pull up some charts and like sh show us how they work. Mm -hmm. Show us how a TA trader looks at some of these recent price moves. All right, David, we've got some other things going on in the Bankless Nation. We should talk about them. The first is we are looking for an editor mm -hmm. and a writer. Bankless Nation, if that is you, send your interesting writing, DeFi writing, to applications at banklesshq.com. There will be a link in the show notes to a job for a job description. Talk to a lot of people. We are looking for the perfect, passionate <laughs> DeFi user slash editor slash writer to help with the newsletter. Really cool position. If that sounds like you, send us your info. Yeah, I wrote the article, The Future of Work in the Bankless Newsletter last week. It was mostly focused on DAOs and Bankless LLC is not a DAO, but there's still some things that you can take we away. We work for Predacol. <laughs> Working for Bankless LLC is dope. Uh, so it's going to be a good time, uh, whoever lands that position. So if you are an organized individual who can manage a newsletter and also are DeFi minded and can write well, like you want this job. You definitely do. All right. Uh, we also had Vance Spencer on last week, but we put out the recording on Monday. Vance Spencer, he that was our original DeFi bull case. Mm -hmm. And Vance is like a crypto native DeFi investor who like has caught all of these trends. Just a phenomenal episode. David, any words you want to say about that one? Yeah, Van Spencer, the bull case for DeFi episode number one held the number one most downloaded episode spot on the Bankless podcast for the longest amount of time. Uh, he eventually got dethroned because the Bankless podcast grew, uh, but we wanted to give him another <laughs> shot to getting back on the number one spot. And uh, so far, so good. Uh, and so there, there's also a reason why it was the number one downloaded because Van Spencer 
tends to get things right. Uh, and so that oh, that first episode was nine months ago. We just recorded the second one. And so uh, hopefully Van Spencer gets back onto that number one slot. And also hopefully he is just as right as he was nine months ago for the next nine months. Spoiler, Van Spencer is still bullish on <laughs> DeFi, that's for sure. <laughs> All right, last thing, guys. Of course, we wanted to let you know about this opportunity with Kyber. Let me share the screen. So Kyber has just come out with a dynamic automated market maker. So they call it a DMM. What that basically means is they take sort of Oracle price feed information into their liquidity pools, and they really optimize yield for liquidity providers. Uh, so we think you should go check this out. You could do that at bankless.cc slash Kyber. Uh, and get ahead, they're going to be doing some liquidity mining a little bit later. That's coming soon. We'll update you on that when it happens. But you can front run that opportunity and get used to using this system as a liquidity provider. Kyber is like one of the OG automated market makers in the space. And what they've built here is super cool. So uh, this is an opportunity for you guys to try it out and get ahead of what they're doing with their liquidity mining program. Um, with that, David. I got to ask you the question I always ask you at the start of these episodes, which is this. What is the state of the nation today, my friend? The state of the nation is charting. We are charting. Uh, and like all good state of the nations, it has more than just one meeting. We are literally going to pull <laughs> up charts and look at them and do charting stuff. Um, but also we are charting a path into the future, trying to get some clarity as where does this market go? Uh, and so in the ever and never ending quest on going westward, we are charting west. And also you might notice that my background is uh, different uh, lately because I am charting my way south. Uh, and so this time next week, uh, I will actually be in San Diego uh, charting a new path. Uh, and so that's why my background is not as composed as it usually is, because uh, you boys moving. You boys charting. Oh, my God. Triple meanings there, David. Mm -hmm. Short term charts. And you worked in like the mm -hmm. DeFi journey and then you worked in your move all in one state of the nation. Mm -hmm. Wow. State of the oh, nation is impressive. charting. Are you keeping some of those plants, my friend? Are those plants yeah. coming with you? Uh, I might have to drop some plants off at my parents. Hmm. Oh, sad. Yeah. yeah. But they're happy oh, about no. it. They like plants too. But you're going to like buy on the other side once you get oh, south yeah. San Diego. Oh, yeah. You're stock up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Like, I mean, it wouldn't be the same without the plants, That's without right. the plant oh, maximalism no. that you guys hear every week. Most of the plants are coming. Most <laughs> of the plants. Except for this big boy, he doesn't fit in the U Haul. <laughs> I'm sure listeners are relieved to hear that, though. All right, guys, we are going to be back with Ledger in just a moment. We're going to be charting the path in the future. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Synthetics is Ethereum's decentralized derivatives liquidity protocol. Synthetics is a platform for creating and trading synthetic assets, which are assets that are priced via an oracle rather than bids or asks. Traders can use the Quenta exchange, which hosts and trades all of the synthetic assets created by Synthetics. Traders on Quenta can trade synthetic tokens like SBTC, SOIL, or SDFI. Because Quenta is powered by Synthetics, traders experience zero slippage on their trades. No, I didn't mean low slippage, I meant no slippage, because that is the power of the Synthetics platform. No slippage on your trades. You can also easily short assets with iSynths, which are synthetic assets that move inversely to their target asset. Synthetics isn't just for traders. Developers can build on Synthetics to access the infinite liquidity offered by synthetic assets, or investors can stake collateral to the 
protocol and earn fees that the protocol collects. If you're a trader and you're looking for a trading platform not found in the legacy world, check out Quenta.io. If you're a developer or you just want to earn yield on your collateral, go to www.synthetics.io where you can stake your SNX or ETH and earn fees from Synthetics. Aave is a borrowing and lending protocol on Ethereum and just recently released Aave version 2, which has a ton of cool new features that makes using Aave even more powerful. With Aave, you can leverage the full power of DeFi, Money Legos, Yield, and Composability all in one application. On Aave, there are a ton of assets that you can deposit in order to gain yield, and all of those same assets can also be borrowed from the protocol if you have deposited collateral. Here you can see me getting a 200 USDC loan against my portfolio of a number of different DeFi tokens and ETH. I'll choose a variable interest rate because it's a lower rate than the stable interest rate option, but I could choose the stable interest rate option if I wanted to lock that interest rate in permanently. One of Aave's V2 features is the ability to swap collateral without having to withdraw your assets, trade them on Uniswap, and then deposit them back into Aave. Aave does all of this for you all in one seamless transaction, so you don't have to repay loans in order to change the collateral you have backing them. Check out the power of Aave at Aave.com. That's A-A-V-E.com. Bankless Nation, we are back here with Brian Krogsgaard. He, you, you probably know him as Ledger Status. That's how I know him. He's a crypto trader and content producer. He's the host of the Ledger Podcast, where he and his co-host go through all sorts of different charts. They select different crypto assets, give a view of the short-term trading uh, perspective here, while also they provide great commentary on the news cycle and how to inform future trades. I'm also super excited about his other podcast called Up Only, which he co-hosts with with Kobe. It's kind of unscripted, raw conversations, uh, really fun stuff, just a great content producer in the space. Ledger, welcome to Bankless. I think this is your first time. It definitely won't be your last, but it's great to have you, man. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. I've uh, been enjoying y'all's shows for, uh, I guess, over a year now. So um, certainly since I went deep on the uh, down the DeFi rabbit hole. Um, y'all do a great service though. I've learned a lot from you and your guests and I appreciate you having me. Well, look, this is mutual because we want to learn a lot about, uh, from you on trading, because that's not a subject that, that we cover so often, but, but I am curious here. So like, when did you go down the DeFi rabbit hole? Like what time was that? Uh, it was around, it, I, I would consider it late for DeFi summer, but for a lot of people, it was so early. It was probably like July of 2020. Um, and I just, some of the stuff going on started to click. Uh, I should have really, you know, if I was even had half a brain, I would have realized why things that like laid the rails for DeFi performed so well, like the link Oracle stuff, like performed well throughout the bear market. Um, but things really started to click with me once I understood better about like what Ave was doing and what Compound was doing and when yield farming came around. So I don't remember which project was first that I saw, but like I saw like yams come online and like some of the early farming stuff and curve launch and a bunch of those things. And then just went from there and uh, took a small percentage of my total uh, stack and said, I'm going to, this is my fun to use it or lose it. And, um, it ended up being like one of the best decisions I ever made. I think I like hundred X just in that, you know, same year, the basis and, uh, more than that in total. And 
uh, the trader in me then told me to rotate that back to, to Bitcoin. So like I made pretty good calls all the way until the DeFi top in February on those rotations. But uh, ever since the summer, I've been like heads down from a DeFi perspective because uh, to me, it was true product market fit for Ethereum. So that's super cool. And I, we're, we want to get into that too. And I, I'm also curious, Ledger, did you go to Miami last week? Were you there? I did go to Miami mm -hmm. and I'm still, that? I'm still in recovery. I'm too old for that <laughs> stuff, man. You and me both, man. <laughs> too old, but you're in your like, you're, you're in your twenties. Gotta be Brian. Oh like yeah. Yeah. 20s. Sure. Yeah. yeah okay. sure, <laughs> well, how was it? What was the experience like? Did you actually go to the conference or was it more like the side events? No, there was no conference for me. I was meeting up with some friends uh, in the space and getting to know people that, um, you know, you turn an internet friend into an in real life friend, David and I tried to get together a couple of times. It didn't work out. That was kind of like you said, the story of the event. Mm -hmm. uh, there's just so many people to meet and, uh, hopefully you came across as many as you could, but it was all to me, it was all about relationships. Like I can, I can watch stuff online later if it's about the content. Um, but it, it provides right. a great excuse to get together. Yeah, they, it's okay. The crypto is a conference heavy industry, right? And everyone has, you know, put that on pause during COVID. But like, we still, we still ship post on Twitter and we still, you know, hang out in Telegram. And so there's just a lot of like pent up socialization demand that kind of got <laughs> released extremely like violently all in two days. <laughs> um, and now we're all here trying to reflect on it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's, a, it's all right though, Ledger. I, I haven't yet met David in real life either. So we're, we're yeah, it happens. <laughs> the, uh, the first conference I, th that was the first big conference I'd been to. I went to one small conference in 2018 where Josh, uh, Carpe Noctum, he hosts LedgerCast with me. Uh, we met in person there and I met a handful of other, uh, people who I value like Naraj, um, Naraj and, is awesome. <laughs> and, and Des from lightning and some folks that were local to DC. Uh, but this was the first one where it was all out. And I agree with you. If you were to put a technical analysis term on what Miami was, it was like there was this long consolidation where there was no events and we were just ready for social volatility. So uh, we had a we had a breakout of uh, of networking in Miami. Mm -hmm. There seemed to be some social volatility on stage too. I was watching the clips <laughs> and you're like, what is going on in Miami? Um, yeah, there's and, always antics like that. But I mean, overall, it seemed like outside of a couple of issues, getting people in the door with tickets and stuff the first day, uh, it's hard to run an event that big. I think they had like 20,000 people there or something. So Thir I, 13 I, wouldn't, and a half thousand. I wouldn't envy. Yeah, I, would, I don't envy what they had to do. So I think they no, it's did amazing. It's amazing they were able to pull that together. And like you guys were saying, the first since uh, since kind of COVID, so a lot of pent up energy. Um, For sure. All right, I mean, think so about this. Get... It was it was the largest event in the world in the last fifteen months, other than the Super Bowl. No wow. way. Yeah. Well, I mean, because of COVID, dude. Largest yeah. event in the world. Though? Yeah, because of COVID, everything got locked down. Wow, I right. didn't realize that this was like mm -hmm. first. That's mm -hmm. pretty incredible. Mm -hmm. Well, good job. Good job, Bitcoin, mm -hmm. Bitcoin conference holders. Good job. <laughs> um, all right, Ledger. So let's start here. We, we're starting to get into it as you were talking about um, like DeFi. And I just want to get the the way you think about trading versus investing down. So I have kind of a mental model going into this conversation that there are basically like three different um, ways you can make money in crypto, right? I'm just going to throw this mental model out at you and, and get you to kind of like respond mm -hmm. to it. Give me your thoughts. The first is you can be, you can trade and be a trader, right? 
uh, do sort of what you're doing, looking at like uh, shorter term price patterns and trying to figure out how to generate alpha and make money. Um, the second I think that's useful is you can be a, a narrative investor. So this is maybe a bit of a longer term, um, it's longer term oriented than, than trading and uses maybe a bit of different information. We're basically doing some like meme prediction right? Oh, layer twos are going to be hot. Oh, DeFi summer. It's, you know, DeFi summer is here. That's going to be the next thing. Oh, now it's ETH killers. So I better get some ETH killers in my portfolio. And you sort of try to front run the next narrative in crypto or the meme. Maybe if trading is like a, a days to weeks to months long kind of operation, narrative, you know, trading or narrative uh, investing, I guess, is sort of a, a weeks to months long type of thing. And then you have the third category, which is the fundamentals investor is individual is kind of like, I'm going to buy and hold this thing, you know, three years, five years, long-term time horizon. I'm looking primarily less at the short-term trading patterns, but primarily the fundamentals of the networks, like the teams, the communities, the, you know, on-chain transaction volume, all of the, the developers, all of the fundamentals that, that make up these projects. Um, what are your thoughts on that distinction? Cause like my, my, my thesis is it's hard to re be really good at all three. And so like my advice is like for people who are new to the space is kind of choose which one you want to be and get good at that. Because what I see a lot of people doing ledger is they try to do all three at once <laughs> and they end up screwing it all up right. and losing a lot of money in the process. Any thoughts on that first? Yeah, I think I would consider it more like a pyramid, right? So I am, uh, from a fundamental perspective, I'm long crypto, right? Or I'm like bullish on the role that crypto plays, both Bitcoin, Ethereum, and some other stuff. Um, so treat that as my baseline pyramid that I'm going to have exposure to this space. Uh, the lower down that pyramid you go, the more you have to be right, though. Like if you're completely wrong on that, you're going to lose money pretty much across the board. Right. Um, <laughs> And then the next one would be the narrative. That's more like a rotation game. Okay. Um, so you can be, um, you, you can have that right. For instance, it could be, I think NFTs are going to be a big thing. Well, I, that could be the ERC 721 standard that I'm bullish on, but that doesn't mean you're going to nail it. Like if you are, you know, getting into a bunch of NFTs at the same time that it's like in mainstream news and on SNL and all this stuff, you could still miss that rotation trade. So that's that next level of the pyramid. Um, but if you're right on that narrative, you have a chance to make a lot of money. The top one would be purely technical, momentum-driven, uh, chart-based. And that's the, the, the place where um, you, your, your narratives and your fundamentals are the least important. And it's much more about the impulses and the psychology behind the charts. Like, oh, I'm bullish on... Um, on, on, on DeFi. So I'm going to buy ETH when it's 4,000, it goes down, you're instantly underwater. Right. And the, the chart is just the psychology of how underwater you are and when it is hurtful enough to you to puke it up. So all the chart does is represent that much like you would analyze charts when you're doing any other type of fundamental analysis, like on chain analysis, here's all the ETH leaving centralized exchanges and it's going on chain and it's being used in DeFi. That's a chart too, but it's just a chart of what's occurring in a network. And when you see price action on a chart, the candles with the price data going up and down, that's just people's psychology of when are they above water, when are they in profit, or when are they underwater and at a loss and trying to determine whether they cut their loss or not. 
And then the degree to which they do depends on, did they go all in from the top of the pyramid perspective, but they don't really have that more fundamental thesis of the middle of the pyramid with the rotation or the bottom of the pyramid with being willing to be long crypto. And you see a scenario like what Dogecoin was, and it's like, they just see, you know, meme stuff. They don't necessarily have any belief in crypto. So they're standing on the weakest foundation. They're just right up there at the top thinking, Hey, this is going to go up. I got to get in before it goes up more. They don't realize other people that had a much better uh, understanding of where the market was and the middle of the pyramid with the rotation to, uh, you know, Doge is going to go up. <laughs> like they were way ahead of them. They, they totally front ran them on that move. Um, so they have even less foundation to stand on and they went too heavy in at the wrong time and they have the least understanding. So I actually am going to disagree with you a little bit. I think you can combine them, but you have to understand the way that you're looking at them. And, um, I know people who make a ton of money and they're only on the top portion, but they are fantastic risk managers. They're not going to sit there and average down forever. If you're willing to average in and DCA and put a percentage of your net worth in something over time because you're fundamentally bullish, it's because you're fundamentally bullish. You think crypto is going to replace existing financial ecosystems and if you don't have that fundamental bullishness, eventually you're going to puke it up when the price goes against you. Margaret, you so first. Ledger, yeah. So so Ledger, this is a really good mental model, I think, of like like thinking about it in in terms of a, a pyramid, right? And so you, you've got all of these different layers you can enter in. You could play at one layer, or you could play at all three. Uh, and like to your point, I mean. You're having a bad time now if in 2017, 2018, you decided the bottom of your pyramid was EOS or something like that. Like (laughs) EOS is money. I'm going to denominate all my returns in EOS. You screw everything else up. And that shows the risk of of that player. But they're also the most right if you do it on synthetics. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) True, true, true. Okay, so so I agree with you there. Um, Let me ask you this, though. Is it a very special person like, is it a very rare breed that can do all three layers of the pyramid well? Because this is why it's like, it's kind of like the the new entrants, I feel like have this, uh, you know, Dunning-Kruger effect where they have this overconfidence to be like, yeah, I could do all three. It's I'll just easy. sell the top, whatever. Yeah, and then they get this, right. like, they make some bets and they get overconfident because things are going well. And like, when they compare themselves to their traditional friends, they just did it like a 5X in two months. And of course I'm a genius, right? So can you talk about this? How how much work does it take and how rare is it to get good at all three layers of the pyramid? Yeah, it's, uh, it's very rare. The easiest one to play and the and oftentimes the most profitable in the long term is that base foundation of the pyramid. Like I'm bullish crypto, I take my time, I'm long crypto for a decade. There's a lot of good reasons to be that way. Not uh, not discounting, for instance, like the tax implications. If you take capital gains as just a simple example, um, if you imagine a zero cost basis, if you go 10x, it might as well be a zero cost basis, right? When you take profit on something like that, you are going to owe like 40% to the tax man at a higher higher income tax bracket. So therefore, you have to outperform holding by quite a bit in order to justify that because then you're starting fresh again the next year. So buy, hold forever, dollar cost average in forever, play this surge onto the world. That is by far um, the easiest in the sense of 
how to trade it and also the hardest psychologically to continue to tell yourself to hold to dollar cost average to stay in it doesn't matter how much i'm up i it, we still haven't hit the pinnacle like we haven't like replaced some of the systems that i believe that we're going to replace uh, so it's hard psychologically in that regard the further up you go on that pyramid the harder it is to be um, tactically correct but if you're a good risk manager you can also avoid being completely wrong on the baseline narrative. So like if ETH goes to zero, you don't necessarily get wrecked because you have a stop loss in your positions and you're willing to go back to the dollar or whatever mm -hmm. like that. A Bitcoin maximalist or uh, an Ethereum maximalist, a crypto maximalist, they're never gonna do that, right? They're gonna be like, screw the dollar, I'm into these things that I'm in and I'm rolling on that train. That's just the bet I made. Um, the further you go up that pyramid, the less they are attached to like making that bet, right? So then they're playing much more tactically. Most people are tactically not very good. Um, so the safer place for most people is way down at the bottom. It's also the most profitable place. All traders tend to screw this up at some point along the way. And it's not, <laughs> if you come into trading actively versus long-term passive investing, you should prepare to lose, but it also does provide the most upside, especially when you prevent some of the uh, 70, 80% drawdowns that can occur in a highly volatile environment like crypto. I really like this uh, pyramid model, even though the uh, YouTube chat is saying, stop using the word pyramid. Um, <laughs> uh, but like, so so we have these three sections, you got the, the cap, which are the traders, the middle foundation, which are the momentum uh, investors, and then we have the base level foundation. And one of the reasons why I think crypto markets have always been so volatile, even, in, and not, not volatile versus the dollar, but volatile in between itself, right? So like, Ether and Bitcoin can be volatile in relation to themselves. And then Dogecoin can be volatile in relation to other crypto assets because there's like this top level swarm of like traders that hippity hop around from different crypto assets as they are making trades. Right. But there's that's leaving this very like um, like like basal level of uh, long-term focus investors and like all these traders are are trying to figure out what what to trade and ultimately they always end up where the long-term people are if those long-term people are right right like there's a reason right. why there's a lot of Bitcoin traders because traders feel pretty safe trading Bitcoin uh, because there's like this very established base of holders. And that's also becoming true of Ether. Uh, and and there's also like people will still trade like we had this 2017 part of this cycle recently where all these 2017 tokens pumped, uh, you know, like Denticoin came back. This is when Dogecoin started coming back. Uh, we had all this like part of this like recent um, like 21 bull market that was very reminiscent of 2017. And all the traders went all, all the way back to the 2017 tokens that were known for going up in 2017. Uh, and then they left, right? And like they went and went somewhere else. So we have this like surface level swarm of traders that keep on pumping different tokens at different times in the crypto markets. And I feel like you have the momentum traders trying to like figure out where those people are going, but then ultimately where people end up and where traders end up trading is wherever the long-term investors are buying and holding who are focused on fundamentals. How does that analysis land with you? 
Yeah, pretty, pretty well. And, you know, the longer the technology survives, the more inroads it makes into whatever it's trying to disrupt, which nothing's gonna, nothing's in a growth industry unless it's still trying to disrupt something, right? Whether it's a tech stock or a crypto. Um, and the, the longer it survives, the more it, the more it, you know, finds product market fit and an avenue for growth, the sure that foundation gets over time. And that's what we saw with Ethereum. It's a fantastic example because you could be critical of Ethereum for a variety of reasons, um, but there was a short-term product market fit of being a platform for creating ICOs in 2017. That just wasn't near as firm of a foundation as what it started to develop with DeFi, um, which gives it a firmer foundation today. And as you um, come off the momentum trade, then that foundation is gonna be stronger. It's gonna rise up and it'll provide a better floor as long as they're right. And then it's just a matter of uh, whether it's the most profitable trade to be in or not. But that's why it's the safer place to be as long as your your baseline narrative is correct. If you so did the same thing based on EOS, like you're not very happy. This is why time. you're not, you're not. Um, th this is why like, so the, ba the, the base layer, that fundamental layer, the bottom portion, I'm gonna say it again, I'm gonna use the P word, the bottom portion of the pyramid again, <laughs> Um, like the bankless thesis is basically that if you're bullish crypto for this 10, 20 year, decades long time horizon, that base layer shouldn't be US dollars. That base layer should be what we call crypto monies, right? And the yeah. two emergent crypto monies are Bitcoin and ETH. And we probably at Bankless called ETH a little bit earlier when people were like, nah, nah, guys, it's just I Bitcoin. I was one of those people. I was one of those people. <laughs> right? Okay. So like a lot of people were like, nah, it's just Bitcoin. But we were like, no, it's it's Bitcoin and ETH, maybe a little bit earlier. But I, you know, we recently had um, the Three Arrows Capital guys on, and it was super interesting to hear them describe it because they seem to play at all three levels of the pyramid too, sort of like yourself. Um, but what they've recently switched over is like, like on a bigger billions item, yeah. <laughs> item. but like yourself, right? From a high level perspective, Ledger. So like, um, and what they recently did is, and this, this astounded me, is they changed the denomination of their, their base layer. It was Bitcoin and they swapped that for ETH. Mm -hmm. Now, they didn't say whether that's a temporary kind of swap or whether that's going to be like a permanent swap. And I think and for them, because how they traders, it's like, perhaps we'll don't see. Know. It depends. Yeah, right. We might come back to Bitcoin. It might be something else in the future. Who knows? It might be neither of those things. Is that kind of how you see it? It's like the base layer is sort of how you denominate your returns. You could denominate your returns in US dollars, ETH, Bitcoin, EOS, synthetics, whatever you want. But is that what the base layer is? Basically the denomination? Yeah, yeah. The uh, for instance, I I made a tactical move to cash for like forty eight hours, right? And that was because I felt like the market was heavy. Um, but my goal, because I still think ETH is going higher, a good bit higher, is more ETH out of that bargain. So if I don't accomplish the goal of getting more ETH out of that bargain, then I didn't do a very good job. Um, I felt going to dollars in a tactical sense was going to allow me to get more ETH. So I'm playing on my fundamental driving narrative. The baseline of the pyramid is what's what I want. And the tactical person in me said, I think we're going down. Uh, that doesn't make me less bullish on ETH in the long-term sense. It just makes me tactically think the best way to get more ETH is through that trade. 
Um, and yeah, I do approach it that way. I would not have denominated an ETH if, uh, now I had to figure out this stuff, listening to shows like yours. I'm not trying to be this person, but without 1559, like it doesn't play the same role to me as money. Like it plays a highly useful asset in a network, um, which from a utility perspective may still be greater than Bitcoins, even without EIP 1559, but that provides the economic incentives to, um, want to hold ETH rather than use it. The scarcity game. And I hate to be like the gold versus oil person, but prior to 1559, that's how I viewed these two assets. I viewed Bitcoin as digital gold and ETH as digital oil. 1559 seems to be changing that narrative to where it becomes a store of value. And I'm willing to make that bet. That's the middle of the pyramid bet though, right? I'm Ah, I'm long crypto. mm -hmm. The middle pyramid bet was Hey, this is DeFi summer. Hey, this is Bitcoin fall. Hey, this is altcoin at pump everything in January. Um, but I felt DeFi needed to be repriced more than anything. Now you can miss those, that shuffling. I totally missed it because you know what I missed was in February, I told myself like, here's my exit event for the DeFi repricing. Here's what I want. It hit. I didn't do it because I wanted a little more. And it was like, that's when, you know, the speculation really goes down the uh, waterfall and you hit like the non ETH DeFi, the BSC and Solana stuff and all that moved. I missed that rotation. Now that rotation was the top of the pyramid for me. That was purely tactical based on greed and desire in the market for things that go up. My fundamental thesis was still in DeFi and I held to that, but it cost me because DeFi consolidated and went down while other stuff like did multiples. So that's how these things kind of work together. And to me, I just want to square my current trade on the fundamental thesis as you go down that that pyramid. So that's why I said, like, I kind of disagreed. I've always said, like, I want to screen by fundamentals and enter by technicals. So the tactical trade is always what's going to cause me to enter and exit. But the fortitude I have for the trade or like the time period or my ability to bag hold ETH when it like technically doesn't look very good is going to be based on how I feel about that foundation. So Ledger, at the very base layer, the basal layer of this whole uh, foundation, what do you denominate in, right? So it sounds like ETH is sort of close to the base layer, but it's also still mid layer, right? You're waiting for some catalysts like EIP 1559. Are you just trying to acquire more ETH so that you can flip into Bitcoin? Or ultimately, is it all like US dollars at the Well, bottom? when the market was younger, I knew how many ETH or how many Bitcoin I had. Um, as the market advanced, I knew how, I know much closer like how many dollars I have in crypto. Um, so I think my denomination has switched a little bit to dollars of late because I can't tell you like how many ETH I have right now. Uh, I can't even tell. I don't know how many Bitcoin I have. You know what I mean? Like, but I roughly know how many dollars I have. So I guess at this moment I'm denominating in dollars now at DeFi, all through DeFi summer. And then like all through the fall, I could have told you exactly like what I had in ETH, what I had in Bitcoin, which one was the right one to be in and which one was the right one to denominate in. Um, but this cycle has been parabolic or was parabolic. The the parabola broke the, uh, that, exponential growth broke down and somewhere along that line i i guess i became a little bit of a dollar maximalist uh not on purpose and i haven't done a great job of it you know it's not like i'm sitting here at my all-time highs but like i want to be cognizant of what's my dollar basis um but that's still a rotation to me it's not the like 10-year 
the 10 year basis, because I just mm-hmm. think all this is still young. Ledger, this is really great. And uh, the very next thing we want to do is get into these charts for you to tell us that same story through the charts. We're going to look at yep. Bitcoin US dollars. We're going to look at ETH US dollars. We're going to compare the last bull cycle to this one. I'm going to ask you about the death cross I've heard about. <laughs> what it's like this Bitcoin death cross thing. Is that real? But guys, before it's- we do, we need to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. And we will be back here with the charts in just a few minutes. Bankless is proud to be supported by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum, which is what Ryan and I call a money robot. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. Something brand new in the Uniswap ecosystem is the Uniswap Grants program is now accepting applications for grants. We have been saying this for a while and we'll say it again. DAOs have money and they are in need of labor. If you think that you have something to contribute to the Uniswap DAO, apply for a grant to Uniswap. Just look at the size of the Uniswap treasury. It's almost $3 billion. This mountain of capital is looking for labor. Do you have something of value to contribute to the Uniswap DAO? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a uni grant at unigrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. That's exactly what we did to get Uniswap to be a sponsor for Bankless, and you can do the same for your project. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. Gemini is the world's most trusted cryptocurrency exchange. I've been a customer of Gemini since I first got into crypto in 2017, and it's been my main exchange of choice to make my crypto buys and sells. Gemini is available in all 50 states and in over 50 countries worldwide. And on Gemini, there are markets for over 30 various different crypto assets, including many of the hot DeFi tokens. And it's one of the few exchanges that has liquid die markets. Gemini just launched their Earn program, where you can earn up to 7.4% interest on 26 various crypto assets. If you're tired of paying fees in DeFi, or you don't want to worry about DeFi exploits, but you still want to earn interest on your crypto assets, Gemini Earn is the product for you. Another product I'm stoked to get my hands on is the Gemini Crypto Back Credit Card, which gives you 3% cash back on all of your purchases, but paid to you in your preferred crypto asset. When I get my Gemini credit card, I'm going to make sure that I get my cash back in ETH. So whenever I buy something, I get a little bit of ETH bonus back to me at the same time. You can open up a free account in under three minutes at Gemini.com slash GoBankless. And if you trade more than $100 within the first 30 days after sign up, you'll be gifted a free $15 Bitcoin bonus. Check them out at Gemini.com slash GoBankless. All right, guys, we are back with Ledger. Now we are going to open up some charts and Ledger is going to school us on <laughs> how to think like a trader here. Uh, okay, I, I got to start with this uh, question, Ledger. Let's let's open up the Bitcoin US dollar chart if we can, because I've heard much talk about this thing in Bitcoin that could be happening, will be happening if Bitcoin price doesn't go up in the next days to weeks called a death cross. Can you explain what that is? If that's even relevant, does it matter? Like it's been all over the place from uh, you know, traders I follow. Can you, can you talk about that? And what is this chart telling us? Yeah, so uh, I want to start with basically, I think it's a meme because it moves too slow. 
most people, when they talk about what a death cross is, they're looking at a 50 day and a 200 day moving average. I'm looking at simple moving averages here. If you do exponential moving averages, it waits the near dated candles uh, sooner. I like to keep things pretty simple when I do TA. And the death cross is when the fast moving average, this 50 day moving average crosses below the slow moving average or the 200 day moving average. So if those cross, they basically say it's game over, go home, it's done. Right. Um, with certainty? In crypto, well, it, not with certainty in my opinion. Um, now you can look at examples where yes, that's true. But if you look back here, let's say you, you did that and you didn't exit until it actually occurred. Um, well, Bitcoin on that day was at like 7K. And then it spent, I don't know, a year, like hardly below that. So did it really matter? No, because it didn't really have that much lower to go. You didn't accomplish very much, especially if you take this out of log uh, and you look at where that occurred. It was here. Okay, so like you're going to tell me now we entered a bear market after we're f we've gone from 20K to 7K? That didn't accomplish a whole lot. So I actually think crypto markets move very quickly and a death cross, meaning you're looking at one moving average relative to another, is a meme. Uh, and oftentimes by the time it occurs, you're like way too late. Now, there's multiple ways, if you'll let me like indulge myself a little bit here, mm -hmm. there's multiple ways to use moving averages. It is actually my favorite thing to use, but the higher time frame bias and then the price relative to the higher time frame moving averages are what I prefer. So let's stick with the slow moving average. The 200 day and the 200 week are by far, in my opinion, the most important signs of health in the market. Um, and in this case, we did not actually find support by this green 200-day moving average. Now I've got this white one. This is a 20-day moving average. But what we did find is rejection from both the 200-day and the 20, which gives you some degree of bearish confirmation here. So I'm much more opinionated about price relative to the moving average as a whole than I am two moving averages relative to one another. Mm. One other way that you can look at it is price how far extended is it from a moving average? Now I'm going to show you the chart that is by far my favorite favorite macro analysis of uh, of Bitcoin over the years. And the only reason I say that is because it called three three macro bottoms, which we don't out get of, macro bottoms out of three, right? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> like ever since it existed. If you go further back, it didn't, you know, that moving average didn't even exist. So the 2015 bear market ground uh, ground along the 200 week moving average and eventually pushed above it. In legacy markets, and crypto is no different than legacy, it's just price on a chart. Uh, in legacy markets, this is the sign of really it being over or not. Uh, that marked the bottom here. And then Notice here in December 2018 with a retest in February 2019, it was a double tap, absolute bottom. And then uh, in March, this was the greatest, you know, I don't know what you call it, like, you know, <laughs> uh, force majeure type event ever uh, in, in, in markets. And on a weekly basis, it still secured that 200 week moving average, which basically means this was all just forced liquidation cascade type right. stuff. Right. Um, so I'm calling that a win for the 200 week as well. So 
inevitably, when we have another bear market, whether it's a fast one or a slow one or whatever else, you will be able to find me as a buyer at the 200 week moving average. Uh, right now on Bitcoin, that is at the low, low price of $13,000 because we can spend years away from it. Right. Now, with within a healthy bull market, that's why you use, if you're doing a trend analysis strategy, that's why I would use a faster moving average. Historically, this 20-week moving average, whether it's legacy assets or crypto, uh, is very handy. And that's essentially what we rode in Bitcoin throughout the bull market. Like every capitulatory bottom, uh, we did not break below it. When we did, the market was over. And then look, we used it as resistance. When we flipped it, the bottom was in. Now, this was a choppy moment for it. The faster the moving average, the faster the trend strategy you're using, the easier it is to get faked out from it. Right. Now look up here. This would tell us that we have some trouble on our hands, mm -hmm. right? From a fundamental perspective on on Bitcoin or a fundamental technical analysis. It's not, a, you know, the fundamentals of technical analysis <laughs> yes. would tell you that we entered the danger zone below 45, 46K. That is where it's telling you, uh, you need to be careful. Uh, you need to consider risking off in that level of pyramids. Your rotation may be telling you uh, on that middle part of the trade to uh, consider dollars. What um, Now, what you do from here is a bit of a challenge, right? Because this is no man's land if you're just using these, these two examples of moving average. Uh, one other element, if I go to Ethereum, if it will pull these moving averages up for me, it's funny enough trying to calculate them. There we go. Ethereum maintained that same exact moving average. In crypto, we have this thing where everything's quite correlated, except for every now and then there's outperformance or underperformance of one to the other. So on that same basis, it was telling you to do absolutely nothing yet because you're sitting right at support. Now, me with my Ethereum bullishness of late with that rotation trade, I said, okay, well, I guess I'll do nothing, <laughs> even though Bitcoin was like screaming at me to get out. Um, so that's why thus far I've maintained my general bullishness on crypto markets. Um, so that's, that's kind of the baseline thesis there. One other element here, I was extremely bullish on Ethereum in mid 2020. And if you looked at ETH BTC, uh, it was getting obliterated back here, but I got very bullish because this 200 week moving average is just appearing for the very first time right. on Ethereum. And uh, historically, when you move price above, that is like your ask Stanley Druckenmiller or like these famous macro legacy people, they are looking at this. So if you talk about your institutional money, they are definitely looking at something like a 200 week moving average and the price going above it. And then the price uh, working off of the faster moving averages. When it gets more dangerous is when it's like 100% above the fast moving average. So this is how you can tactically, even if you think it's horoscopes, you can tactically use it because Ethereum in this case went 140% above the 20 week moving average, which basically means relative to itself, it is moving very quickly. Um, so that's the type of thing that could have told you it might be a good time to start taking profit, which you feel that in your gut sometimes as well, because you're like, oh, well, wow, I was euphoric about $2,000 ETH and now it's $4,000 ETH. Right. <laughs> and then and when it also, dumps, I feel like, like this is a little bit of the coordination game where, where people are seeing Ether move too quickly versus itself. And it kind of turns into a game of chicken where all the people who are holding yeah. ETH are looking at everyone who's also everyone else who's also holding ETH and like, hey, 
Like, are you selling? Like, you better not be selling because if you're selling, I want to sell. And some of these people held through some deep (laughs) darkness in in wintertime, all the way down to $80 (laughs) ETH. And so they're just like wondering, should I sell like at 4,000 or like, should I wait for 5K or something? Right. Um, so that that's kind of a summary, I guess, of using trend analysis in, in TA. One other thing I'll show you, and there's a lot of power to this, and it's I think it has a great deal of merit, is just purely horizontal levels. The reason I say it has a lot of power is because when you're talking about moving averages, you're trying to combine everyone's psychology there, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're saying, on average, this is where people bought over time because that's what it is. Um, a pure horizontal is more where you have like this congestion of buying uh, or or selling. So, nineteen fifty two thousand dollar ETH is a good example of that, where it just failed to get past it multiple times. So then, when it did, uh, it that's where we really found significant support, even in the face of sell offs. So here you have wick, 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 wick. So after it had broken out and spent quite a long time under that level. Well, then when it was topside and coming back down, people were more confident in buying it. And that's what really kicked off that parabolic move for Ethereum. And notice it's confidence, right? That's right. They're able to, they feel comfortable buying with confidence and they go in for that move. Um, And lo and behold, even with the massive selling that we've seen recently, that's where you finally found your buyers because that's where the wicks exist because the daily close uh, was significantly above uh, the lows of the day. So this was more of your intraday, very top of the pyramid people uh, trying to buy and capitulating or other reasons, a variety of reasons, uh, people on leverage getting completely wiped. Um, and all these things can kind of go into your strategy. But when you move down 40%, 43% top to bottom in one day, that puts a lot of carnage in the market. But even in that scenario, we found buyers eventually. And then here we found more buyers as it retested, kind of thrusted down into that zone. And when I do TA, it's complicated because none of this is easy. You could say, well, I just bought the horizontal level because it went back to 2000. It just retested that level. Uh, You could say I sold because it went below the fast moving average. Uh, You could say I bought because all open interest on derivatives and margin got completely wiped out. Even people who were pretty safe and they were only using say Ave for their leverage, you know, like, and they were borrowing 30% against their basis, much less the 20 X degenerates on, uh, you know, centralized exchanges, they all got wiped out, right? Like everybody felt the squeeze. If you are in, have any exposure to markets and you have a 40% down day, you feel the squeeze. So, in that type of scenario, it's more than just like, here's what the candles tell me. It's also like, okay, everybody got wiped out. Who's left to sell? Like they were forced to sell. Now all you have is the people like your you know, your Ethereum at $80 type people, except this time it's at $2,000. So that gives me some degree of confidence that as we kind of pulse down now, as bad as it looks, I actually think we've probably made the lows back here because like what happened in COVID, you just kicked anyone out. Like, and if they didn't survive it, they're just gone now. Um, And so I actually feel like we're doing okay. That said, if you wanna continue the strategy, you will use these levels to help inform you at the top of the pyramid to make those tactical moves uh, and then use the the middle and bottom portions of that pyramid to reinforce your 
uh, broader decision making. Now, if we do impulse lower, you already know Ryan, who does not TA, where do I want to buy Ethereum if it continues to go lower, right? Can you make a guess? I'm going to guess that uh, 1767 mark right there. And, because and that's where cents. that 200. <laughs> yeah. Well, where <laughs> this, this will move over time, but I'm going on a trend following strategy. The health of the market is going to tell me that uh, I should be a comfortable bull market buyer above that 200 day, even if we've lost the faster moving averages for the trend following. Mm -hmm. So people sometimes like to troll trend following, but if you look at legacy markets, this stuff works on a historical basis very what's the, well what's the troll for trend following i gotta say like i've never seen um just a very concise extrapolation of, of trend following but i really like it because it's so much like it's 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 got this long-term view perspective yeah. on it but so like what what's the bear case for trend following so people i respect uh, even my co-host on up only uh crypto cobain they're like well of course it hits the moving averages because it's just an average of historical prices it's got to hit it eventually and that but my thing is that's also my point <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> like so we we both agree but he's like of course it hits it that doesn't necessarily mean i want to buy or sell it based on that my thing is I just have plenty of historical evidence where it likes to bounce off some of these levels. However, you can totally, and you can probably already feel this based on what we've talked about, hit yourself with analysis paralysis, looking at too many things. So this is one strategy. This is using two moving averages, a 20 period moving average and a 200 period moving average, primarily in a daily and a weekly timeframe to make both tactical and long-term macro decisions the 200 week moving average for those long-term macro tactical with that 20 week or 200 day, that kind of stuff. To me, it's helpful. If I follow a plan and I say, look, I'm just going to risk off. Maybe it's only taking off my margin positions because remember we have this long-term fundamental uh, thesis that we're bullish ETH. So maybe I take off my margin positions when it loses the fast moving average, but I don't actually feel compelled to take off my long-term holdings unless I lose something much more fundamental like this 20 uh, like this 200 day like say we go below it and then you know we're battling it from beneath that could be a signal that hey this market needs a lot more time to repair itself and I have to make those decisions later each trader every day has to determine how they're going to play this and that's why the further up that pyramid you're trying to play, the more difficult the decision-making is. Because if you're just playing off the basis, the bottom line one, you just keep dollar cost averaging in as you have the ability to do so to the degree of which you are willing to have exposure to this market. However, somebody always loses because you know what? There's a lot of volume up here. A lot of people that are new entrants up here, they are the ones feeling the heat today. Now, Ryan and David are not feeling the heat quite as much today because you guys were buying when ETH was $300 and below allegedly. as much as you could, allegedly. Um, so you don't feel the heat near as badly as someone who was like, oh, yeah, uh, Ethereum is pretty cool. But they're hearing about it for the first time when it's $3,000. They are 10x more expensive per ETH than someone buying at 300. So that's where that psychology comes in and this capitulation comes in as they just give up and move on and they're like, oh no, I've messed up again. <laughs> okay, so, but Ledger, it does seem to be the case that the lower you are in the pyramid with kind of even this this trend following, the, the, the easier the decisions are. 
Really, oh, like the, the more the obvious higher, it is. The higher conviction that you have. Yes, yeah, the I'm higher sure. conviction you have and like the the more obvious the decisions are, right? So That's like right. somebody who's more holder oriented like me, more fundamentals oriented, right? Might still be able to incorporate a little bit of this sort of analysis to give them an edge toward the bottom of that pyramid without going full all the way up the pyramid, full TA on it. That's right. Uh, that's they totally, cool. they totally can. And the, that's why if someone tells me, Hey, you're on a deserted Island, you can only have one thing. I'm going to say, give me a weekly chart of whatever I want. And the 200 week moving averages on it. You can always find that's what you want on deserted Island. They're like food or well, like ship or like, <laughs> you know, like I have no other information okay. about what, about what I'm trading. Uh, there's plenty of things if I'm actually deserted, what I, <laughs> I don't want to be trading. Uh, but if I'm trading, that's what I want. And I can show you in chart after chart. Now, you have to be quite patient if you're doing nothing but playing a 200-week moving average. You can see here, I mean, Ethereum, it didn't exist back here, but it lived under it forever. So it would have told you, buy Ethereum relative to BTC at 0.042, like when it finally got that break above it. Um, now, I may try to preempt such a move. Um, but nevertheless, that's what it told you to do. And on that long-term decision-making relative to ETH BTC, for example, that was a pretty, uh, a pretty nice move and a pretty nice trade for you. In He's, fact, uh, you, you doubled or yeah, you, you know, if you, let's say you sold it right this moment, you're up like a hundred percent relative to BTC. Now that's even if you denominate in BTC, now you have twice as many. <laughs> so that's how I'm approaching this from a technical perspective. And it has absolutely nothing to do with my uh, denominate in BTC or denominate in ETH. You should be perfectly willing to trade ETH if you think it's going to increase your, your BTC. These, these longer term trends, I think like, um, like speak to me. I didn't, um, yeah, I, I guess uh, th this is kind of cool. I'm actually considering, you know, adding this to my toolkit. Um, there you go. But one of the but, reasons, okay, but, Brian, why why I wanted to bring you on is to help Ryan improve his charting yeah. skills. Because on, <laughs> on the figure way, out how we, to work trading view yeah, on so the I weekly rollups, I need I yeah. need him to get a little bit better at trading view. Embarrassing. <laughs> All right, so like um, Ledger, let me ask you this, right? So maybe if we could just do a quick summary of yeah. what the long term charts are telling people. Uh, on the Bitcoin US dollar chart and the um, ETH US dollar chart. So it appears from everything you're saying that on Bitcoin US dollars, it's not looking great, but like it's not looking like we're about to, it's, it's not like early 2018 and the, and, the bull, and the bull market's over, but we're just in this like no man's land period of time, right? So we've got that as context, right? And yeah. then on the ETH chart, it looks to be the case that ETH actually looks fairly strong. We've, we've cleared out a lot of the leverage and the margin in the system. We've sort of bounced back. It's actually looking good. So if this is the case, if we get a, a bearish scenario for Bitcoin for a while, this, this no man's land, Bitcoin is like the, the largest asset by market cap. You know, like the, the meme is that Bitcoin leads and all the other coins sort of follow. What does that mean? What does that mean about... I guess, where we are in the cycle and how this is all going to play out. Summarize it for us. Yeah, as much as you saw that relative strength on ETH, uh, Bitcoin still tends to have its way in terms of affecting all other markets when it goes up or down. We're at an interesting inflection point today. I talked about the importance of those horizontals. The most important of all horizontals, whatever your prior high was. Well, 
20K that we broke through, that was what enabled us to have that impulse in Bitcoin first to 38K or 40K and then all the way to 60K. What's terrifying now is <laughs> this is really the only like daily horizontal level that we have and we're sitting right on it at the time of recording. Um, so what you have below this is basically this large air gap where you have to find out where are we going to have willing buyers. If Bitcoin loses this, it can drag other markets. It would also probably pull ETH below some of those key markets like that 20-week moving average. And this is how you have to play that balance to try to figure out where in the pyramid do I want to play my with my brain right now? Am I going to be tactical or am I going to be true to my like lower down the pyramid fundamentals? ETH or Bitcoin is certainly showing significant weakness. The only strength that you can really lend to a Bitcoin thesis is that it's down 50% from its highs. So if we are going to maintain a bull market, a 50% drawdown is a buy, not a sell. If we're going into a bear market, there have been times where we've gone down like 80%. So if you've never sold any Bitcoin, are you going to want to sell it right here and take a tax event and all these other things? Probably not. But are you like looking at this tactically and thinking this is healthy? No. Uh, but yes, on ETH, uh, it is still looking, this is the same chart, same time frame, same moving averages. It's telling you don't do a thing until this goes below like 2200 or so, uh, on this, on this weekly chart. Right. And, and what you're saying is you're saying you're trade. like the, the BTC us dollar price has given you the spooks and the ETH right. chart is, is just do it is not, not doing anything. But what you're cognizant of is that if Bitcoin doesn't find support literally like right now. Uh, yeah. Then, then, <laughs> then it can drag ETH with it. Yeah. Like, During uh -huh. this show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The way to I get the way to get ETH to like seventeen, eighteen hundred is by Bitcoin essentially losing that gap that I just showed you, and like Bitcoin goes and pushes deeply into the twenty Ks. That's what. That's how you get ETH seventeen hundred, eighteen hundred. Like, and really feeling like we, you know, should have risked off a little more than we did. If Bitcoin finds support. And that's why these like time frames are important. Like a daily close is important. If Bitcoin can find support, I actually feel very good about ETH also holding these higher lows, like, you know, it's higher than it was the last time it made a low uh, and continuing to consolidate. The picture y'all used on the cover image of this video was basically a thesis that, you know, ETH's just going to go sideways. <laughs> and that's basically in this example of, Bitcoin is struggling. Bitcoin has a PR battle right now going on. Like the energy stuff, ETH has a solution to that, right? Like ETH 2.0 is all about moving to proof of stake off of proof of work. Bitcoin has a battle that like globally between that and the criminal enterprise crap and all this stuff mm -hmm. is it's its greatest challenge to its network effects since the Bcash fork. Right. Uh, and the network effects rule all. So this is putting my fundamental hat on for a second. Wait, no, Bitcoin, isn't this the middle of the pyramid? Isn't this the the, the narrative trading? Uh, yeah, it is. A PR, it's a narr PR that battle is, the narrative is a narrative trade. trade. That sounds that's, like a narrative that's right. trade. That, yeah. That's right, because we believe that all that stuff is mostly baloney. Like, there's re good reasons for it. There's renewable energy. We, what, you, know, you could talk to Nick, Nick Carter about that stuff. Uh, <laughs> but with me and my narrative and how I want to play this trade, that's going to take time for Bitcoin to repair itself on. Mm -hmm. uh, and... ETH has much cleaner answers to all of these things right now. Plus, it has the 
uh, potential pumpamentals or whatever of EIP 1559 and monetary change. And it plus it has the amount of transactions and desire to do activity on the chain and yada, yada. So in that rotation trade, as long as Bitcoin can repair itself, I will maintain bullishness on ETH, but it may take some time. Basically, as all these people who bought too high, they're going to be happy to sell you their coins when they break even. So you have to go through what's called like a wall of worry on the, on the way back up uh, mm -hmm. as those coins shift back to stronger hands, yada, et cetera. A relief. Okay, rally, Ledgers. Right? All right. So one thing David and I have been comparing this to, and it's hard not to, is uh, 2017, mm. right? And mm -hmm. like in particular, uh, June, July, <clears throat> summer 2017, when ETH hit like 420, and then it dropped all the way down to the hundreds, and then it was sort of flat for a while. In the meanwhile, Bitcoin, I sort of remember this, just kind of sat there. It's mostly flat. Um, do you think that this is like 2017 in any way? Or is 2021 its own thing? And like, are you like, guys, stop comparing this to previous cycles? <laughs> Yo, the data doesn't fit. What's your take? Uh, that is my like dream scenario because this is like everyone in the world of crypto. If you're going to say, hey, draw me an ascending triangle, they'll say, okay, we'll go look at 2017 ETH. Now it got obliterated relative to Bitcoin here because Bitcoin mm -hmm. did run some during mm -hmm. the summer. Um, but on the dollar basis, I've never had better conviction in a trade than buying ETH like 300 to 350, anticipating its breakout. Now, I didn't hold it all the way to 1400. I wasn't crazy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> these things tend to go further than you anticipate. But this was kind of a classic higher lows, equal highs. You know, you just bang into the ceiling of that thing enough times, eventually it breaks. Uh, and from a technical perspective, that's our dream scenario today, that essentially we're framing such a triangle and then we go and we spend potentially all the way until the fall without a new high. But, you know, we kind of tap into it a couple times and then we get kind of our end of year seasonal run pushing the highs. And that's where you get your seven, eight, 10 K ETH uh, type of move. Everyone is euphoric and Ryan gets to retweet uh, ETH at 3K is hilarious. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've, I've got that scheduled. Scheduled. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, All right. So Ledger, uh, tell me this. Riddle, riddle me this. Uh, it, it seems like uh, what you just said is that we are possibly setting up for that same exact ascending triangle. If enough people also watch that, does it become true? That is where TA starts in the first place. You know, okay. the 200-day moving average, I think forever ago, it was like the market's roughly open 200 days a year. So therefore, 200-day moving average is the annual average price of an asset. Well, we're open 365, so why don't we use the 365-day moving average? The answer is because everybody looks at the 200. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> so this is the same thing. If people see something over and over and they all agree, they reach consensus that it's the most logical next outcome, then these things can become self-fulfilling prophecies. Uh, so yes, you can call them horoscopes, but it's also, this is what people look at. They look at what are the previous highs? What are the, what you know, what's the resistance of uh, where people are gonna be happy to take profit or to um, risk off because they don't know if it can make a new high. That's why it becomes a repeating high. And as it comes down, they're like, okay, well now I've lowered my price. That's how it becomes higher lows. Mm -hmm. So 
history does not always perfectly repeat itself, but it can rhyme on these charts and you can see it play out. So yes, uh, my, my hopes, my dreams, my ETH bull thesis is all in this. Uh, so would I love to see this? Yes, that's the dream. Will it happen? Screenshot this. Screenshot yeah. this, David. Will it will it happen? Um I hope so, but it it'll probably okay. look a little different than than we all anticipate. So first of all, Ledger, markets are weird, man. They're weird. Like this is very strange. But psychology's um, weird. And I'm trying I'm weird, trying but... to visualize psychology. So that is quite a challenge. Okay. So we, we talked about the happy case, the happy scenario. And the happy scenario is we're in 2017, yep. mid-2017-ish. What's the not-so-happy scenario that you see? The not-so-happy oh. scenario, and I'm going to stick to ETH here. Sorry, I had Ryan to ask breaking, breaking the rules about <laughs> bullish content only. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna, curious. I need to know this. What's I'm going to stick, stick to ETH here because with Bitcoin, I think we know what it's going to look like. It's going to look like uh, the regulatory hammer coming down. It's going to look like the energy debate uh, really going in favor of the people that don't like proof of work. It's, you know, those things. More With Elon ETH, tweets. More Elon tweets. Like, just get out of here, buddy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can't stay away. Once you get in, you're done. Even the second richest person in the world. Um, <laughs> for, for ETH, in my mind, we are all assuming 1559 massively decreases the supply, like by 90%, the triple halvening type of effect. Well, what if the move to layer two actually makes it so that fees are just so much lower that we're not burning near as much as we otherwise anticipated? What if we can't get consumer apps built on Ethereum so that like the the native surge of transactions and activity on the Ethereum network does not go up? What if there's smart contract risk that we don't anticipate? Or what if the yields go to zero so that it's not worth yield farming or participating in DeFi like we anticipate? We will see those things happen on a chart. If they happen, our 10K ETH is our pipe dream and we'll see something like this 20 week moving average fail and we'll see a grind out and we'll have to find out, can we hold prior highs like the 13, 1400 type of level that we had back in 2018. Now, to some people, they're like, that's fine, do it. I'm still bullish on ETH in the long term. You know, we're just getting a fraction of all people on there, but that's not good in the near term because right now the near term narrative is trying to price in 1559 and supply shock and DeFi adoption, et cetera. If we don't see those things, then it could that could give us a lasting bear market. And in my mind, the next like big bear market, I do think it probably bottoms like 70 to 80% down, not 90, 95% like it did last time. So, so there's we actually have chance. A, a, a decent number of those questions, uh, Brian, that you just brought up. Like what happens if EIP-1559 gets killed by L2s? What happens in a bear market to DeFi yields? I just want to, because you brought those things up, I do want to shill our current state of DeFi panel coming tomorrow, where a, a lot of those questions we are going to ask uh, the, the guests there. Uh, so quick shill. Yeah, quick chill, and you got to save the time of that if you're going to chill it. Uh, what time, time of that is at 1 p.m. Pacific time, 4 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, we got Santiago Santos, Spencer Noon, and Vance Spencer on the show. Two Spencers and a Two Santiago. Spencers. It's gonna be <laughs> awesome. Um, all right. So, what happens if good things happen for Ethereum, the ledger? Like EIP 1559 does do well. Layer two works out. Um, the merge feels like it's on time. All of those things are going well, but, and yet Bitcoin 
is having trouble. Like Still, so, yeah. bad disaster mm -hmm. scenario for Bitcoin, but all things Ethereum good. lives up to his promises. Yes. Uh, what in that scenario? Some sort of mix. We're in like. Then it'll be the funniest Twitter environment ever, as the <laughs> is really challenged. <laughs> like that will be a lot of fun. I'll I'll uh, I'll be there for the entertainment, but like the cope on the Bitcoin side and the clout on the ETH side, like it'll almost be too much to bear. Uh, but of course, I'll still be, want to be there to witness it. But yeah, I think we would go for the highs on ETH BTC. But it doesn't necessarily mean ETH goes the full way. Like 810K means Bitcoin has recovered. Um, you know, the scenario of, of the flippening, but Bitcoin's like in the 20Ks, the flippening can still occur with ETH at like 4 or 5K or something like that. Uh, I think like Kobe loves destruction. Um, so like <laughs> to witness it. So I think that's... Uh, both his least favorite from a like actual, you know, gaining wealth perspective, but also favorite from a pure entertainment perspective is to see the flipping happen with Bitcoin, like in a bear market. <laughs> oh my God. So that, that is one potential outcome, but it would mute the upside on ETH. It sounds like it would mute the upside from a dollar basis yeah. on ETH, but like per Bitcoin ETH would be quite strong. And, um, I, I don't know where I fall on this. To be quite honest, forever I was like 0.055 ETH is a magnet to me. Like it was just where we kind of broke down in the bear market before. And I was just like on a pure horizontal magnet. What it ended up being was we thrust right through it and then turned it into support. If you look on the right-hand side of this chart where that weekly came and thrusted down, that's where people found themselves willing to buy. And it was a key horizontal level. My target was more like 0.085. We almost got there, but not quite. Do we hit these other, what were then bearish, you know, lower highs? Do we get all the way back to all-time highs, 0.15? For the entertainment value, I hope we do. Uh, because, like, the the drumming, the drumming of the flippening will be so loud that it'll be very entertaining. Um, I don't think we'll spend a ton of time flippened if we do do, do so. If we do... Crypto's in some bad dire straits. Like Bitcoin might have lost the uh, the narrative, and it might take a much longer bear market for crypto to kind of re-identify itself. Like those network effects have to redistribute. And again, this right. is more of a fundamental hat, but like that means something is like people are really going after Bitcoin from a regulatory perspective or something. Mm -hmm. um, and plus, outsiders are looking at our industry saying, "What is crypto if Bitcoin isn't Bitcoin?" That's right. That's right. And I think it could put sell pressure on everything. So it's like, yeah, ETH flippened everything, but like everything's in a bear market, you know? <laughs> uh, so that would be kind of painful, but I guess that's possible. I don't think it's the most likely. I think the most likely is Bitcoin does start to repair itself. Uh, ETH does fairly well. Um, but then the flipping, like, when you are like having a celebratory podcast about the flipping occurring, it's also the top. <laughs> 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 that makes a ton of sense <laughs> because we all know yeah. that euphoria and gloating is where the top gets marked. Um, Ryan, unless you have any more questions about ETH and Bitcoin or ETH versus Bitcoin, I want to pull up DPI versus ETH uh, because this is something that we look at on the Bankless show. 
Oh my god, that bottom is holding by a string, by a hair. Um, Ledger, I don't know if does, you listen does to Ledger know what the bottom you called is? Yeah, I, I, I don't call bottoms because I don't chart like Ledger charts, but I called the, the ETH DPI bottom right around 0.13. Uh, and I mean, it's looking, looking kind of good, but we are right there. We are on the yeah. brink, man. It's at the peak. It's at the point of best risk reward. I just inverted it because I want you to look at this by mm -hmm. flip, like you're flipping your own bias here mm -hmm. and saying, am I bullish this chart? My answer is I'm super bullish this chart. <laughs> Ooh. Oh. Talk about this. Uh, like just to set this up for, for people who are kind of like me though, this is like a mark of D DeFi's performance, token performance, DeFi mm -hmm. token performance That's right. relative to ETH is what we're looking at here. And you just said you're super bullish DeFi. Uh, I, I said I am bullish DeFi, but this chart of being bullish the inverse version right. I'm actually bullish ETH relative right. to DeFi. Oh, okay. because flipped he it. flipped it. So flipping a yeah. chart is a nice way to check yourself, right? So like, oh, are you bullish this chart or are you bullish all the time? And we need to flip this chart. And like, <laughs> oh yeah, you're just bullish no matter what. Oh my what. God, this yeah. is all psychology. That's <laughs> okay. right. That's And that's why I said that in the first place. Now, could it hold here, AKA in that inverted version be rejected? Yes. However, think of where we are in the cycle like, and where you want to be. Mm -hmm. What I want to be is liquid. And I am less liquid if I'm like spread out amongst my favorite DeFi protocols than if I'm basically saying, look, I'll get the upside of ETH, but if I need to go to dollars, I can do it in one trade because you can get a lot of, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of coins sold in one trade when it's ETH USD, right? Um, and to me, that's why I think the underperformance of DeFi relative to ETH will occur until the chart repairs itself. As the chart repairs itself, let's say that ascending triangle repeat of 2017, when that's in like the, the last 40% of that type of consolidation, I bet DeFi will be freaking exploding, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But until ETH repairs itself, this may be bottom, but it's not like I think it's gonna go like straight back up to right. the relative highs. And this is, a rel this is no different than ETH BTC, it's just down the trade and it's, and it's it's the reflexivity increases mm -hmm. i'm sure you all have had guests talk about reflexivity um so yes this could hold but i've minimized my DeFi exposure because i just want to make sure i can get in and out of eth and eth will be representative of my DeFi bullishness and none of these DeFi protocols currently have as good of tokenomics as eip 1559 in my mind even though some of them do have promises of token value accrual etc i'll get 80% of the upside just holding ETH. And that makes me a little scared to hold on to this. And it could either range sideways or go to new lows, neither of which are worth the risk, worth the risk to me. David, no summer. And my gut take on this is that if Bitcoin continues to break down as we saw, and even ETH, ETH does manage to hold on and stay pretty good as from a, from a dollar perspective, if BTC breaks down, DeFi tokens might also break down. Right. Just because like at some point Bitcoin controls the markets and even though DeFi tokens are generally more correlated to ETH and BTC, at some point BTC breaking down makes everything else break down. And then if DeFi tokens break down right here versus ETH below 0.13, there might just be too much bearishness in the whole entire market for anyone to be happy at all. And like how much yeah. can how much can ETH really control the market? It's never really done that before. Honestly, what I think you hope for is something like this, where it sweeps the lows and then it goes. Mm. So, like, just repeat that here. 
so you sweep the lows and then you go because what you do all these all these markets they just move wealth from more hands to fewer right like eventually Suzu is just going to own all the coins in the world uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so if we sweep those lows that's when you know us 100 iq middle curve people are like ah <laughs> oh, crap it lost it i'm out and they're like laughing in rich and just say like okay now we buy it and we pump it and that that would be the one the one thing i'd look for however that doesn't necessarily mean you enter right there you're you don't have to be the person collecting that liquidity you don't need quite that liquidity you can buy it here okay mm -hmm. so like you can buy when it clears this level because when it clears that level it's probably going to be a confirmation of broader trend reversal and you might play it from 0.15 to maybe the range highs to 0.28 and just like we talked about with ETH BTC, well, guess what? You just made 80% more ETH. So this, Ryan, is my case for like why the charts assist your broader narrative, because if you're going to actively trade whatsoever, um, then this is going to assist you in doing so. It's just going to assist you in trying to make logical decisions. This is the point at which I want to remind holders that Suzu cannot take your coins if you just never sell mm -hmm. them and just <laughs> hold on to them. That's true. That's and true. you're not on right, leverage. So because if you're on leverage, yeah. you have to sell sometimes. The, so the other thing, uh, Ledger, I'm curious about on this chart is like, so if we start to see DeFi continue to break down, can you put on your, your lower pyramid fundamentals hat again? Like, mm -hmm. what do you look for in DeFi tokens to buy from a fundamentals perspective? Are you like, because what's interesting about this is forever in crypto, we were just like trading things that have no... Um, cash flow value like not really capital assets what like yeah. what is the fair market value of bitcoin and eth is like what's the fair market value of gold is really difficult to answer but some of these crypto assets they have cash flows and so if you look at something like yfi its price to earnings ratio in may was like 12 yeah. like incredibly low relative to its growth what do you what would you look for in uh gem gem style like maybe blue chip or maybe not DeFi tokens if you, if you feel like DeFi is starting to bottom relative to ETH. Yeah, thank goodness we're not having to rely on things like FAT protocol. Thesis? <laughs> Thesis, yeah. Uh, because I much prefer if you can just look at numbers and say, well, I think this is a relative value because from an income you know, uh, perspective, like this is not even priced like a growth stock in equities and yet look at the growth potential in this ecosystem. So... Uh, I think those are extremely valuable tools to be able to see, like, what is the token value accrual that goes back to holders who are participating in the network? And that is far better than governance alone. What we see, though, and this concerns me a little bit, is like some networks are pricing it as if they already feed that token value back to holders, but they yes. don't. Yep. So no offense to Uniswap, fantastic product. It doesn't do that yet, but it's priced as if it's going to. And similar to buying like a super high tech growth stock with no profit, it's the same thing in DeFi. Whereas you look at say Sushi, maybe it's a better relative value because they already feed those profits back to token holders. Um, and same with YFI. So what I would am going to look for to say, I truly have a value in these assets is to say, do they feed token value to token holders today? Uh, like the, the fees and stuff back to token holders, do they do that today? Is that a relative value in itself? And is the usage of this protocol defensible 
Um, or is it just infinitely forkable and people chase yield, et cetera? If it says yes to all of those, then it's going on my list of things I want to buy when I'm bullish DeFi. Yeah, that's a really good case. You're like what one other bearish point I've heard about these cash flows themselves, Ledger? And I'm like curious, you know, because we're both like in our early twenties. You and I remember a little bit of the dot com <laughs> stuff, right? Yeah. So oh, like yeah. I'm the only one here, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure you You're are. 57. So, <laughs> what was interesting about some of the uh, dot com stocks is like um, companies like Yahoo back in the day, late nineties, were like crushing it in terms of revenue and growth, right? But when you looked at their revenue, it was like advertising revenue coming from what? Other dot-com stocks. Right. Like, so the inflated valuations of the other dot-com stocks were essentially fueling Yahoo's revenue. So even people who are like, quote unquote, fundamentals investors and looking at cash flows of a stock like Yahoo, well, that was being juiced by the bubble of other dot-coms that was kind of surrounding it. And in a bear scenario, Again, we're like we don't talk bear stuff, do we, David? But like sometimes we we need to. Uh, like some of some of that revenue could just disappear from an asset like YFI because why? Because well, the staking yield disappears. What what are your thoughts on that case? Is that a potential? Um, yes, I think what happens when the market goes down, when it becomes a bear market, is something you have got to consider because if you're banking your your valuation off of something earning 20, 25% yield, if it goes down to 5% yield, is it still valuable? And the answer is basically no, um, not near as valuable, especially when I think you have to have a few points of yield in crypto just to account for the fact that there's smart contract risk, even in these platforms that have existed for a couple of years. We don't know the potential exploits are out there. There is always bugs in software. So it's a it's a potential problem. It could extrapolate the downward spiral of the market, similar to ICO treasury selling that occurred in the bear market last time. It's like all they have is ETH. They have to survive. Now they have to sell their ETH as it goes down and they capitulate. You know, like we could see similar reflexivity, I guess, and uh, something to consider in case of a, a strong bear market. But I think the bigger and more important thing is that the liquidity flows will go to to projects that are fundamentally more sound. And right now the liquidity is really spread out amongst a lot of projects that are just priced up in a very highly speculative manner. And so I would hope to see value and 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 total uh, market value accrue more to the true blue chips, the people that are really building quality stuff that'll last a long time. So Ledger, this has been, I think, one of the most informative uh, State of the Nations that I've, I can remember in recent memory. And you've actually started something called Flip Metrics, which I think if people are interested in more stuff like this, they might be interested in. So tell us all about Flip Metrics and what that is. Yeah, so I, uh, I'm officially deep in the rabbit hole of DeFi because mm -hmm. I've gone uh, full time. So Honestly, podcasting and content creation is my side hustle, and Flipmetrics is a business that I've co-founded with two partners, and we're a team of six right now with um, some investors, and we're we're building what we hope to be actionable intelligence um, for people that are involved uh, in DeFi. So, if you think about on-chain events that could impact um, the future value of a token, for instance. Um, who's buying and who's selling 
like what are you seeing in whale wallets or different scores or things like that. What we have right now is just a simple tool and it's basically saying who's FOMOing stuff. Like, are they running out of a token because they want ETH and, you know, you can sort by slippage or price. Uh, this is just a simple and fun little uh, tool to, to take a look at and these update based on blocks as they come in. Um, but we'll have so much more that'll be focusing both on token fundamental analysis itself and then also on uh, wallets and to be able to do significant analysis uh, based on on-chain metrics. And my primary thesis is that more trading will occur on-chain than on centralized exchanges over time and that the uh, flows similar to the technical analysis that we talked about, just price on charts, this adds a whole nother level of analytics that you can do because you're analyzing on-chain network activity. We don't have like 10K reports, you know, from the SEC and stuff uh, to analyze these assets. So this is like our on-chain version of being able to do that. And we hope that it provides insights for people. So it's a completely free product and you can go to flipmetrics.com and sign up. Well, I think both cool. Ryan and I are extremely bullish on on-chain data uh, because that's where we like to see our trading activity because on-chain data is bankless data. Uh, and so, uh, big fan, big fan, and I hope you all the best, sir. Thank you. We have a ton of work to do. It's just a little landing page right now, um, mm -hmm. but we're very excited. I love that Ledger has been officially DeFi pilled. He is all in <laughs> at this point on DeFi. It's awesome, man. Um, hey, look, you kind of changed my mind around like um, like trading analysis in this in this short uh, time we've had together. So, like, thank you. It's been a really cool episode and um, a learning episode for me personally. I, I want to ask maybe this last question. It's like absorbing all of these things. The big question still in people's minds is, hey, is this 2017 and is this a brief pause or are we about to enter a much like a longer uh, bear market? And I know we've gone through like the, the different mm -hmm. hypotheticals, but like, let's make it binary. Um, <laughs> what, what's your probability here? ledger and everything you, you've seen first probability that this is a pause and we resume the bull run and then second and probability that uh like we're, we're going down for 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 a dip for a period of of many months and sort of bull run is canceled for now uh i think the most likely outcome is that we don't actually make new highs this year um but that's not the same as a bear market um, interesting so like almost no man's land somewhere we haven't that's not 2017, but is not doesn't quite fit other markets either. So something new. Yeah, uh, and other people have helped influence me on this thesis. But you know, you mentioned the dot com era. It's not like because Amazon went down 90% one time, it's gonna it went down 90% another time. Like it proved itself in the market. It emerged as a technology and and for showing like online commerce is real today cryptocurrency is real <laughs> you know like there's nothing people can't say it's not they can not like it they can try to regulate it but it is real and i think that we're seeing more of an adoption cycle this time rather than a speculative cycle and i think what will make it painful to people is that it won't be like 2017 because it won't be so rapid 2017 was just one parabolic curve up and then it was done and 
we will see that again. That's in my mind, like what you see in like a Dogecoin type of move or some of those things. But I think we're going to see a true adoption curve occur in blue chip crypto assets. And those of us with a long-term bull thesis will win, but it's going to require patience and people expecting to like 100 X every year in one asset or the other are going to be sorely disappointed. You know, I've always uh, had reservations uh, in because 2017 was my first cycle, right? And I had like the extreme amount of wealth at the top of 2017 at an astonishing number of nine ETH, right? Uh, and I was really, really excited about uh, this this bear market and then the bull market because of all the promises of like, oh, a new cycle is coming, new cycle is coming. But I was always extremely skeptical. It's like, well, if too many people are all saying that we're just going to do another 2017 thing, I, th I always thought that if too many people are saying it, then it can't become true because people will try and trade that reality too soon. And all of a sudden, like, we can be bullish on crypto and have number go up. Uh, but like a complete repeat of everything we've already seen in the past seems like hopium to me. Yeah, I simultaneously am trying to say there will be logic in the market. And I'm also seeing, you know, I said what you said, Doge will not go to 10 cents. Well, it went to 60. Uh, <laughs> GME and AMC are fundamentally worthless and they're short squeezing funds to bankruptcy. Um, we are seeing logic in the market that is, I mean, just devastating to normal human beings that do reasonable analysis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so I, I I can think that. It doesn't mean it won't happen, but I don't think it's the primary outcome. And if legacy bombs, that could send us into like a much longer cycle of repair, but we will emerge from that because I do believe this technology is here to stay. One person I'll highlight, I just, just distinctly remember how Peter Brandt, of all people, said how 2017 was so abnormal as a trading event just asset that asset class that exploded that he would have been absolutely shocked if it ever occurred again as this bull market began out of the covid recovery he was like if this does this again it's like a, a double whammy on something that's typically a generational trading event like if you're just the trader right so to, to think it's going to go just as fast and it has gone fast so far. So it could slow down for a long time and still be like really, really positive impact for a, a long-term investor. But the fact that we've moved so fast again, I think that's why it demands more time for repair consolidation before like further move up. So that's why I think, I think this cycle is going to be significantly slower. Um, mm -hmm. and, and without the like negative 95% type of thing. And I think if we Pleasure. want this industry to mature and these charts to mature, like we need to be um, ready for boringness. Uh, we need yeah. we need for boringness to enter the markets because like Ryan and I on Bankless he making content has been it's exhausting right now. <laughs> I Are was about exhausted? to say the I'm most tired. fucking fun of my life, but <laughs> well, is, I'm glad to know that you're exhausted. It's both. Well, you're like, okay, if we've been on for an hour or two, have uh -huh. we moved like 10% while we've been on yeah, the show? Yeah. Like, where's my new <laughs> <You know>? car? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, but like, yeah, yeah, this this is all great. I mean, I, th I think the, the bottom line for bankless listeners is like, be prepared. Mm -hmm. so you're saying we could still have an explosive growth up. We are in a late stage fiat credit cycle. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Who knows absolutely what could happen? At the yeah. same time, this the middle scenario that, that you mentioned where we have this kind of this 
leveling off period and this steady period and slower growth, that's definitely very appealing to me because you tend to attract the right sort of people, right. not people you're gonna, who are, yeah. The, it's, you're attracting the baseline of the pyramid people. Beautiful. You're attracting the middle part of the pyramid people. When you're wearing that tactical hat, that very top part of the pyramid, those are the people that are here today and gone tomorrow. Like a you don't want them in market. the long term. It's a top yep. heavy market. And that's when you can lose the bid when it goes away and it's like, Boosh, you know, like there it goes. And it's, it, and you know, like you're pulling the coins back down to the people with a, a greater fundamental thesis. Now is a time if you're bullish on crypto is probably when you should be DCAing. But instead, our friends that got in ETH, for example, above 3K, they're freaking out. So they yes, have the they exact are. opposite mental attitude that they should have at this moment. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, Ledger, this has been invaluable. I think a lot of lessons here for bankless listeners. The biggest lesson of all is the story of crypto is continue on the journey. Mm -hmm. Keep a long-term orientation to this market. We've got industries to disrupt. We've got years to go. Ledger, thanks so much for joining us on the State of the Nation. Thanks for having me. We'll have you back soon. All right, guys, risks and disclaimers. Of course, trading is risky. <laughs> ETH is risky. So is Bitcoin, so is DeFi. You could lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot. Hey, we hope you enjoyed the video. If you did, head over to Bankless HQ right now to develop your crypto investing skills and learn how to free yourself from banks and gain your financial independence. We recommend joining our daily newsletter, podcast, and community as a Bankless Premium subscriber to get the most out of your Bankless experience. You'll get access to our market analysis, our alpha leaks, and exclusive content, and even the Bankless token for airdrops, raffles, and unlocks. If you're interested in crypto, the Bankless community is where you want to be. Click the link in the description to become a Bankless Premium subscriber today. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the channel for in-depth interviews with industry leaders, Ask Me Anythings, and weekly roll-ups where we summarize the week in crypto and other fantastic content. Thanks everyone for watching and being on the journey as we build out the Bankless Nation.